relationship with our phones, that there's some smoke and concern when it comes to our relationship with the technology of the day. And maybe for some of you, uh, that's not you, and you have a phone that makes phone calls and text messages, and that's, a, that's what you use it for. Um, but I'm betting if that's you, you've got a, uh, a grandkid, you've got a kid, you've got a nephew or niece that uh, they've grown up with this thing, and you're watching them try to figure out how to navigate life with this thing, and it's not easy. Uh, for some of you in the room, you were born into a world that existed only with the iPhone. Uh, for some of us in the room, we know the world of dial-up internet. And then your dad yells from the other side of the room going, get off the internet, I'm trying to make a phone call. For some of us, you remember, I, I don't know this world, uh, but for some of you know the world without the internet. And that sounds like a blessing and the next thing closest to Eden. Uh, but for some of us, we don't. But I think we all could agree that there's some smoke when it comes to our ability to navigate technology, our ability to navigate phones and social media well. Uh, and the Boy Scout in me knows that where there's smoke, there's a fire. And a fire left unchecked will burn the house down. And so this morning, we're going to talk really just about three of the four things that I mentioned, connection, contentment, and communication. I tried to fit technology in, but I didn't really think you wanted to be here for an hour and a half, and I didn't really want to be here for that long. Either. Uh, so what I think uh, and I hope we're going to see this morning is that we were made for a connection with God, to find contentment in God so that we might communicate like God. Uh, what I hope we see this morning through the scriptures as we get there is that we were made for a connection with God, that we might uh, find contentment in God so that we might communicate like God. So connection and contentment. We were created by God for connection and contentment. He made us that way. We were designed to enjoy connection with God and with one another. We were created for it. We all desire deep, meaningful relationships, and we were created for those. We were created by the author of life to enjoy life with other people, meaningfully connected to one another as we enjoy life together. We were created for connection, and we were created in contentment. Uh, not in contempt, but in contentment. God made Adam and Eve and placed him in a garden. And Eden literally in Hebrew means delight with everything that they could ever need. And that was pleasing to the eyes. And the first commandment God gave humanity was simple, rest and enjoy. The first thing out of his mouth was eat, eat on day six. And then day seven was rest. He didn't make us to work for him like some little minions and robots. He made us to work with him. And the first thing he invited us into was to enjoy the world that he made and rest with him because he did the work on our behalf. We were created for a connection with God and we were created to be content in God and all that he's done for us. But our connection and our contentment was severed by sin. Uh, we don't have to look very far in the world to go, uh, people are disconnected and people are discontent. And when Adam and Eve chose to find life outside of the author of life, they lost their life. And sin disconnected them from the source of life and from the source of contentment. And immediately, humanity's relationships with God and one another broke down. They started pointing the finger. Uh, it's her fault. It's his fault. No, God, it's your fault. And humanity's contentment in life fled and discontentment rushed in relationally, vocationally, physically, and all the other leaves that I could write down. Work became hard. Their relationship with one another became difficult. Their relationship with God was, was cut. All of a sudden, these emotions that they never were meant to experience rushed in. Life wasn't just filled with joy and pleasure anymore. There was jealousy. There was anger. There was frustration. 
And disconnection and discontentment resulted in breakdown of communication between Adam and Eve as they hid from God and began to point the finger at one another. And we're just on page three of the Bible. And all of a sudden, this connection with God that we were made for and this contentment in him that we were made for to be able to communicate like him words of life and love into the world around us falls apart. Can you hear me now? Good. Can you hear me now? Good. Can you hear me now? Good. Uh, In the early 2000s, Verizon went on a uh, campaign across the world uh, to prove that their cell phone coverage was better than anybody else's. And uh, many years later, I can still remember and see the guy walking through the Arctic, walking through the desert, walking through downtown Atlanta. Can you hear me now? Good. Because Verizon had tapped into the great longings of the human soul. Connection, contentment, and communication. The whole pitch was, you can have a connection wherever you are because Verizon has the best network in the world. And because you can have a connection, you can find contentment. This phone isn't going to drop your call. Uh, This phone is going to keep you talking to mama or that lady or that guy, and you're going to be content with your cell phone coverage. Why? Because you can communicate to the world around you. Did they come out and say it like that? No. There was a guy in a polo with glasses walking around in the middle of nowhere going, can you hear me now? Good. And we all laughed and went, ha ha ha. I wish my cell phone coverage worked like that. And then we never switched. Technology, uh, particularly in the age of the cell phone, has promised better connection more contentment, and improved communication. That's like, that's the spiel. You're going to be better connected to people. You're going to have more contentment because this thing's going to make your life easier and you're going to have better communication with other humans. Now, by a show of hands, who thinks that their communication has improved because of the cell phone? Yeah, I didn't think so. Good job. Y'all didn't all raise your hands. That would have been bad. I was in the Apple store uh, a few months ago. Uh, Kelsey's dad had gotten a new phone at work and was giving Kelsey the old phone, but we had to get it switched off the plan, and that took uh, moving mountains to get it assigned to a different person uh, and sitting in the Apple store for about six hours. They had a nice couch, at least. Uh, But in sitting in the Apple store for most of the afternoon, I watched the Apple product release video playing on their screens about eight times. And it always started with the Apple Watch, which this is not one. It's just my watch. And uh, I was just, the first couple of times I went, that'd be kind of nice to have. Could do so many things. Look at that guy rock climbing. I bet he couldn't rock climb without an Apple Watch. And then I watched it again and then watched it again. And every time it got a little bit more absurd. Because the opening, uh, the opening reels started like this. There was a guy in alone in a cabin and a bear walked in. And all of a sudden you see him on his phone, on his Apple Watch. Uh, yes, I, I'm in the woods by myself. There's a bear. I need help. And then all of a sudden the, the authorities showed up and rescued the guy and trapped the bear. And then the next scene happened and this uh, older lady had fallen in her kitchen and she couldn't reach the phone. And so she grabs her Apple Watch and goes, help, 911, I fell over, come help me. And then the ambulance showed up and rescued her and she lived happily ever after. And then the next scene, there's a gentleman who's a trash worker and he's telling the story of, I got somehow caught in the back of my trash truck and my buddies just drove off without me. But because I had my Apple Watch, I was able to call and tell him, hey, stop the truck and I didn't die. And then every one of them ended like this. Thanks, Tim, for saving my life. Tim's the CEO of Apple. And I just went, he didn't save your life. You just bought a product from him and you misplaced your phone. And I don't even know that that thing actually connected to your phone because that was not a real bear. Not a real bear. 
And I just went, what is going on? And then I watched it again and I watched it again and I watched it again because I had nowhere to go. And it was at that point, at the end of this string of stories, that Apple just capitalized on the sentiment and the emotion that the Apple Watch had saved this many people's lives. And it held forth contentment that you can be okay, that this thing can rescue you. This thing will make life worth living if you just pay the low, low price of $49.99.99, whatever it cost that this thing can change your life and really give you everything you ever wanted, that it'll save your life, that it'll keep you connected to the people you want to, even the authorities to come rescue you, that even if you misplaced your phone, which, oh, the world's over, the Apple Watch has you and you'll be okay as long as its battery doesn't run out. And I just went, no, like the Apple Watch isn't going to save anybody. It's a piece of metal with a microchip. Like it didn't, it didn't fight the bear for him. He just was able to hunker down in theory in the back of the kitchen and call the authorities. Like they're the ones that saved his life, Tim, not your Apple Watch. But yet they held forth this technology as this idea that would keep you connected to the world so that you might find contentment in your life because you can communicate from your wrist wherever you are, even on top of the mountain. And so much technology, particularly our phones and social media, has promised increased and improved connection and increased and improved contentment because it'll let us communicate better. But we've seen the opposite come true. We all have. Increased phone and social media usage hasn't improved connection across the board. It's created deeper disconnect and has been found to actually increase loneliness and reduce overall well-being. Regarding discontentment, it doesn't take long scrolling through the internet on a phone, on a tablet, on a computer uh, to realize all the things you don't have, all the things you wish you did have because that's what Amazon's telling you and all the things that your friends have and all the things your friends are doing and all the things that the Joneses have that you don't. And all of a sudden, this thing that promised deeper connection and greater contentment has actually worked the reverse. So what do we do? How do we find connection and contentment? How do we help ourselves or our friends or our loved ones navigate our digital age well? How do we find the contentment and the connection that we long for? Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, relationship, I shall not want, outcome. Contentment, not wanting, comes from connection. Do you see it? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When we're connected to the shepherd, contentment's found. Contentment comes from connection. True lasting contentment comes from when we're connected to God, our shepherd. Because we were created for a connection with him. We were always meant to find life as we walked with the author of life through life. And when we're connected to him, we find pleasure at his right hands forevermore. When we're disconnected, we find discontentment for a lifetime because connection uh, breeds contentment. We were created for a connection with God. We were created for contentment in God. He knows our every need. He already knows them. He's known them since you took a breath. He knew exactly what you were going to need all of life for every moment. He knows what you need right now. He knows what you're going to need tomorrow. And Jesus talks about that he's a good dad who not only knows our needs, but has the power and compassion to meet them. Our contentment is found in a connection with him. 
God can meet every single one of our needs, big, small, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. He knows them all. He created us with a need for them all, and he can fill every single one of them. He continues in the psalm, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, makes me, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Uh, Jesus puts it like this in Matthew 6, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Before you knew what you needed and were willing to verbalize it, he knew it. He knows our every need and he's the one who can meet our every need. That's the point of the poetry. Uh, Food and water and rest and right relationships and right action with the sheep between a shepherd is that All that we need is found in him. Our deepest longing for contentment is found in a connection with our creator. We were created for a connection with God to find contentment in God. Augustine put it this way, God has made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they find our rest in thee. That we're restless creatures going and going and doing and and just finding distraction, just trying to find rest until we find rest in him. So where do you start? How do you fight to reclaim connection? How do we begin to fight to reclaim contentment? Because it's only through a connection with God that you'll find a contentment in God that you'll be able to communicate like God. They're all tied together. If we don't have a connection with him, we'll never have contentment in him. And if we're not connected to him and content in him, we'll never be able to communicate to the world around us like he does. So reclaiming connection and contentment, four things. Uh, First, repent. Uh, Repent. Uh, Admit that you have a problem. Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous got this right many, many years ago, uh, and they know where true change begins because it's where the Bible says that true change begins, admitting that they're powerless and their fight has become unmanageable. Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. We have to admit that we've all gone astray from our shepherd, that we've all gone our own way, that we've decided we could find a better life without the shepherd. And oftentimes, the shepherd uh, that I found for, for, for my generation, for even I'm watching it now happen in my folks and in, in the young people that I've gotten to minister to, is that oftentimes we trade Jesus for this thing, that this thing can guide me, that this thing can take care of me, that this thing can provide for me, that it's going to make me feel safe because if I don't have it, I'm scouring my house until I find it because, oh no, what have I missed in the world? That this thing brings me comfort and solace and peace. And I used to think it was a young people thing. And then I went home at Christmas and I just watched my parents play Bejeweled and scroll Facebook And then my mom would want to talk to me about relationships from middle school for people that I don't know that she knows more about than I do because she's just doing this while her grandkids and her children are sitting in the room and going like, when did I become the adult in this relationship? And then I go home and so mature. (laughs) But we've traded the good shepherd 
for a cell phone oftentimes or a tablet or, or, or some sense of technology that gets us connected out there and distracted from what's going on in here. And we let our phones become the one that care for our soul. We let it take care of our concerns and our anxieties and our needs and our fears and our wants. We try to find connection to something greater than ourselves and contentment outside of ourselves through our devices, but we haven't and we can't. And the the trick is the more we let it know our concerns and our desires and our anxieties, the all of a sudden the more it begins to show them to us and tell us what we should really be caring about. So our fight to reclaim connection and contentment begins here on what the Bible calls repentance, a turn, admitting that we have a problem, that me and this are not okay. Uh, I realize that more and more. I've, I've given a, a sermon like this a few times, uh, and every time I preach it, I think that I'm going into it in a better place than I was. <laughs> and the more I realize that this thing has a greater hold on me than I would like to admit or be honest about. But we repent, and then we return. We return to the shepherd of our soul. First Peter chapter 2 puts it this way, For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We repent and we return. The only way to reclaim our connection and find contentment is to return to the shepherd of our soul. To find connection, we have to come back to the one who created us for a connection with him. And true connection begins with him and then flows into other people. We were never created to be isolated beings. The only thing that wasn't good in creation is that Adam was alone and Adam had a perfect relationship with God. But Adam didn't have another human to share his life with. We were created for a connection. And when we come back to find true connection with God, all of a sudden we're set free to find true connection with other people. And you can't get that backwards. You're not going to get a right connection with God by getting a right relationship with other people. That's not the avenue. You get right with him and then you can get right with us. You find connection with him, and then you'll find contentment in him. That's what David argues in the very first verse of the psalm. When he's my shepherd, I will not want. When I've got a right relationship with him, when I'm walking with the author of life, I can find contentment in life and be a blessing to the people around me. We repent, we return, and then we release. We release. We put the phone down. Put it away. Walk away from the screen, walk away from the tablet. We let it go. Now, here's where it gets hard. Release the phone and trust your shepherd. (laughs) Release the phone and and trust the shepherd. Literally put it down and put the phone away. And and I hadn't thought about it, but I, I don't know what, I know what I would do because I've had to do this. I don't know what my mom would do. If, if like she had to put the phone down and then get rid of the tablet and just sit and be for a while. Like, I think that, like, that sounds really appealing to her, which is why they go on vacations in the middle of nowhere, but she makes sure that she has Wi-Fi. <laughs> I don't know what she would do. I don't know really what I do for the, about the first six hours. I, I, after that, I feel pretty good. I've detoxed a little bit, but I don't know what she would do. But we put the phone down. According to Zipia.com, the average American spends five hours and 24 minutes a day on their mobile device. 
The average American checks their phone 96 times a day or once every 10 minutes. Uh, according to the National Library of Medicine, there's now a disorder called nomophobia. Nomophobia. No mobile phone phobia. And it's used to describe a psychological condition where people have a fear of being detached from their mobile phone connectivity. The survey described that most of the teens, 77%, reported anxiety when they were without their mobile phones. Scientists proposed certain psychological predictors for suspecting nomophobia in the person, which are self-negative views, younger age, low self-esteem, self-efficacy, high extroversion or high introversion, impulsiveness, and a sense of urgency and seeking. That there are real humans that we really care about and really love that we have a very close relationship with. Maybe a teenager, maybe a now senior saint that are terrified of life without their phone. And for some of them, there's some really legitimate reasons. I think about my parents. They live in a town of 3,000 people in the middle of nowhere. My mom is home by herself. Dad's at the hospital. If something were to happen, this is mom's lifeline. This is how she's calling for help. I get that. Uh, For some of our young people, I know it's easy to pick on them. I love you guys. Uh, They've grown up in a world that didn't know 2011 in a world that was scared of a war on terror. Like I remember where I was. I, I remember life before that. I remember going outside and playing in the street, going down to the neighbor's house and knocking Hey, Miss McNabb, can Stephanie and Ben come out? John and I want to play. I remember not coming home for hours and riding my bike down to the the street, to the not the street, like to the other side of the city to go to my friend's house. Because the world was seemingly safe. And, And the more I've worked with these teenagers, like the more I've read and the more I've realized, like I grew up in a world that I thought was safe, where people were generally good. And they've, they've grown up in a world where planes fly into buildings. And, and, and that was the world that they came of age in. And they lived in a world with this connected to the world, telling them all the things that are wrong. Like you didn't have to deal with the news until you were an adult. <laughs> and they've had it at their fingertips. And so I get this gives them a lot of information about terrible things in the world. But it also gets them connected to mom and connected to dad. Like I was flabbergasted when I took some of them to Dallas, Texas, and a lot of them wanted to call home every night. I'm like, but you got away for a week, like away from mom and dad. Like, why do you want to call them? Like, I was free, like, bye. But there's this real sense of like, no, like this helps me be connected to them and I know they're safe. And when I stopped judging them and asked the question of what's going on behind that, realized there's a real sense of discon, there's a real concern about the world and the safety in it. And so I'm not saying let's all bring our iPhones up here during communion and burn them. I am saying maybe we need to reassess our relationship with it, that it does some really incredible things for us, that I can FaceTime my mom. And Kelsey's mom, and they can watch their little grandkids grow up from 12 hours away. That my mom could call if things were bad, and she has. Uh, that, that I can take teenagers to the other side of the continent, uh, country, and they can call home when they feel uneasy. And that 30 minutes of, you know, 
probably meaningless chit-chat of what did you do today and what did you do today brought a real sense of calm so they could stay connected to the mission. That it does some really wonderful things for us, but it also does some bad ones. And so we repent and we return, and at times we release. We put it down. We walk away from it. We let it go so that our shepherd can care for us and not our phone. And then we rest. We rest. We find rest and we find restoration. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. A rest, a ceasing, a break. Not being on, not having to be connected, not having to be expected to weigh in or choose a side on the subject. Just being and trusting God. Just being human and trusting God to take care of the world and to take care of you in it while you just sit and be a sheep and let him take care of your soul and your needs. He makes me lie down. He restores my soul. I always thought it was interesting growing up that it says he makes me lie lie down, not I lie down. Sometimes he has to cause us to stop, to cease, to take a break. Uh, Taking a break isn't easy. Uh, It takes work. It takes preparation. There's a making that we have to do. There's a doing that we have to do in order to rest, to restore, to find repair, to find a refresh. But restoration takes rest. Did you see it even in the Psalm? He makes me lie down. Then he restores my soul. The restoration takes rest. Uh, A lot of you saw as we walked in here that Maven Grace broke her leg this week. Uh, And the only way for her leg to heal, for her leg to be restored, is for her to take a rest. As for her to not use it uh, and walk on it and put all the weight on it that she could and run around like the crazy little child that I love and she's 100% mine. Um, But in order for her to find restoration for that bone and that joint, it has to rest. It has to rest in the right way. It had to be casted at the right angle. It had to be immobilized. She had to cease using the muscle and the bone so that she could be healed. And the shepherd causes us to rest because it's only in the ceasing. It's only in the resting. It's only in the stopping that our soul really finds peace, that our soul really finds the restoration that it needs. It's not in doing, it's not in working, it's not in that new study or that new thing or that new ritual. It's We find restoration when we rest and trust the shepherd to take care of us and the world around us. And restoration, this idea of wholeness, it's what we're all searching for. We, we know something's broken in us and we know something's broken in the world. And so often we try and work and work and work to fix the break. But restoration doesn't come through more work. Restoration comes through more rest. And so we release, we put the phone down and we find rest for our soul. I I love that there are umpteen billion sermons that I can access. I love that there are thousands of translations of the Bible that I can get. But when I need to be alone with the Lord and rest and find restoration for my souls, like I'm not using this as the Bible because it's going to ding. And I can't help myself. Like, I got to know why it dinged. It's going to buzz and I'm going to want to reach for it. I'm going to switch that app. Like, the, the daycare is going to tell me that my kid pooped again. Yay. But like, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I wonder what else she did all day long. And I'm, I'm gone. 
and I only got open to like Psalm 23, ding, 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 ding. And I found that that happens. That there's something, I think, deeply spiritual that when I'm trying to sit down and be with the Lord, whether that's preparing a sermon or praying at home, all of a sudden it's like, did you think about this? Did you think about this? Did you think about this? Did you think you forgot about this? You got to do this thing and this thing. I'm like, oh, I was just like starting to say, dear God. And all of a sudden it was like, dear everything else crush into my mind at once. And using my phone or my computer doesn't help that at all. Because all of a sudden everybody wants to email me. All of a sudden every notification wants to come through. All of a sudden Google Calendar, which hasn't been telling me I had a meeting for seven days, tells me I had 17. But if I just walked away, I would really find rest for my soul. So we put it down and we trust him. We repent, we return, we release, and we find rest. And from God restoring us, we can work with God and restore others. Like we, uh, God put it this way to Abraham, that you were blessed by God to be a blessing to other people. That when we find connection with God and contentment in him, when he sends us into the world, whether that's family or friends or coworkers, all of a sudden this deep connection to the source of life and this contentment in the midst of life can really help us be a blessing and a light for the Lord in the world that he put us in. Like you're not going to help people find connection to God and contentment in God if you're disconnected and discontent in him. You cannot give what we do not have. But when we're connected to him, when we're content in him, and whether that's the workplace or Thanksgiving dinner with the family, all of a sudden we can walk in and maybe be an agent for restoration and an agent of change in the family. And we communicate from connection and contentment, we find a restored communication. Proverbs 18 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Ephesians 4, 15 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Ephesians 4, 29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. We communicate like God by using our words uh, to build up and sometimes by just being quiet. We, we find connection with God. We find contentment in God so that we might communicate like God. We're the only creatures that get to speak. He spoke the world into existence in six days. And we're the only ones that get to talk. Because in our words are life and death. In our words are blessing and curse. And we're called to use our words well, to build up and sometimes to be quiet. Words matter. We all know that. You can remember some of the best things someone has said about you. And you remember some of the worst things people have said about you. And it still stings years later. And just as God spoke and life sprang forth across the universe, we can use our words to breathe life into the world around us. So when you speak, we're called to build up, not to tear down. We speak the truth and we do it in love. We let our words be truth and we let our motivation for speaking be because I love you. Does that mean we say all easy, nice things? No, but it means when we say hard things that are true, we do it because we love not to cut someone down. We communicate well by building up. This is true both in person and online. So whatever you say, spoken, written on the world of the internet or on a text message, Speak the truth in love 
so that those who read it and hear it might be built up. James 1 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Slow to speak. So we use our words to build up. And sometimes we just be quiet. You read the Psalms. David has a lot of questions. Read Job. Job had a lot of questions. God doesn't answer every single one of them. There was a period of time called the intertestamental period where God was quiet between what we know as the Old Testament and the New Testament. There was how much ever eternity before God said, let there be light. That when he does speak, life comes forth but he doesn't always speak that sometimes God is quiet and it's okay for us to be quiet. We don't have to have an opinion on everything. We don't have to respond to everything. We don't have to immediately text back everyone. We don't have to immediately have an answer. It's okay. Uh, I told some of my youth workers, uh, You don't have to have an answer to everything that a student brings you. It's okay to say, I don't know, and I'm sorry that happened. And just sit with them in a moment where they're hurting. That it's okay to be quiet. Especially when all of a sudden you feel the anger rising up. Because I don't think any of us have probably uh, ever said anything good that we did not regret when we were angry and just opened our mouth. It's okay to be quiet sometimes. We use our words to communicate like God by using our words to build up and sometimes by just being quiet. In the opening of John, um, it said, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What does the Bible say about social media? It doesn't. It does talk a lot about technology. It talks a lot about connection, that we were made to be connected with God. It talks a lot about contentment, and we just skimmed the surface, that we were made to find contentment in Him and in His care. And it talks about communication, that in the beginning, God spoke, and then He invited us to speak alongside of Him. And we can communicate like Him, being a blessing to the world around us as we use our words to build up and sometimes by being quiet. And Jesus, the word made flesh, walked into our life and dwelt among us. He came to restore the connection that we had. The word of God came to restore connection with humanity because we were disconnected to him because we're all sinners by nature and choice. But not only did he come to restore connection for His entire life, he found contentment in the Father because he knew all that he needed and he trusted him every moment. And he invites us back in because our souls long for a connection to the shepherd because it's in a right relationship with the shepherd. It's when we're connected to him that we find contentment in him. And when we get those things right, all of a sudden, right communication flows out. Then when we're connected to our shepherd, he'll restore our soul. And give, us, and give us rest. He'll make us content in Him. And from contentment, 
connection and contentment, we'll be able to communicate like he did in the world, being full of grace and full of truth. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, thank you that you are full of grace and truth. Yesterday, tomorrow, and right now, that there's truth in your word, that you made us for you, to be connected and be content in you. But there's not just truth, there's grace. Because we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We all try to find something to connect us to something meaningful and bring us contentment outside of you. And that breaks down all of our words. But your grace is sufficient even for that. Your grace is sufficient for when we find a shepherd that's not you. Your grace is sufficient when we try to find contentment outside of you. Your grace is sufficient when we use this blessing to speak, not as you designed and intended. And so God, as we move into a time of response, I just ask by the mercy of your spirit within us that you continue to fix our eyes on Jesus the only one from the Father, full of glory and grace and truth, and that we might return yet again to the shepherd of our souls who laid his life down for us. We pray in Jesus' name.